you would, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 2 this morning. Galatians chapter 2. The fear of man is something everyone faces. And it's often something that is a, is a massive cloud hanging over our days. It, it shows itself in a variety of ways. We spend our days desperately trying to make someone proud of us. We hunger for approval, perhaps from one particular person or one group of people. Even if everyone says, well done, but if this one person doesn't cheer, we may feel like a complete failure. We perhaps fear that other people won't like us, affirm us, nor approve of us. Maybe we fear failing to such an extent that we'll never even try something new or difficult for what it will look like if we fail and what others might think of that. I hear this very often as I speak to others who are struggling with this. I I see it in our students who struggle to feel the weight of expectations, sometimes of their entire family. I see it in the highest achievers that even though they've achieved so much, it just never seems like quite enough. I see it in my own heart. In the face of this enemy, this cloud hangs over us. I, I wonder, is there any hope for us? Is there any freedom out there from this enemy? That's what we're going to explore this morning. So again, hopefully you've turned to Galatians chapter 2. And today we're in the third week of a four-week series we're calling Finding Hope for Our Struggles. Two weeks ago we looked at identity. Last week we looked at loneliness. And this week we're looking at something called the fear of man. Then next week will be the final week. We'll look at doubt. And after that we'll begin our series on the book of Romans. Galatians chapter 2 beginning in verse 11 reading to verse 16. Now, when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face, because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, If you, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. First Baptist Church of Grey Gables, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures. Let's ask the Lord's blessing over our reading today. Lord, we trust that you will work how you've always worked in time and history, and that is through the proclamation of your special revelation, the word of God. May you make us more like Christ. If there's anyone here who does not know Christ by faith, we pray that this message would pierce their hearts. They would come to know you as Savior and Lord. And the only way they can, through your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in His name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So a little bit about Galatians before we dig in. You know the Apostle Paul, he wrote to the churches in the region of Galatia, urging them to hold on to salvation by grace alone. 
What had happened is some false teachers had followed Paul's work there and began to infiltrate the churches in that region. They were attacking Paul by saying, this is not an authentic apostle. They were questioning his spiritual authority. And in our text today, we see one of the most tense encounters in all of the New Testament. If you were to think about two of easily the most influential apostles of all time, you would have to say, Paul and Peter. And really what we see here today is a clashing of those two. Paul is recounting the situation that happened in Antioch. Antioch is one of the cities in the region of Galatia, so it is one of the Galatian churches. We see two things very clearly in this text regarding the fear of man that we need to see today. Number one, and this is the first point of your, yes, that's right, two-point outline, right? There's only two points in there. Is that, don't, don't act like you've already not looked and wondered what's going to happen here. I've got a sister who tells me that when there's very little points in the sermon, she fears it's going to be a long one. Uh, and you may be right. All right, first, the destructiveness of the fear of man. That's point number one. The destructiveness of the fear of man. In verse 12, we're told Cephas, which is, by the way, the Aramaic form of Peter, had come to Antioch. And from the beginning, the church in Antioch had been a mixture of both Jews and Gentiles. Antioch really had been the home base for the first expansion of Christianity outside the region of Jerusalem. So so the gospel had had come there, it had taken hold, and, and that city actually began to send out workers with the gospel. And in our culture today, uh, it's hard for us to understand just how much significance there was in the culture of that day to be able to share a meal at the table with another person. It was, in fact, a very significant thing. We see this throughout Jesus' ministry, often that he shared tables with sinners, and that was, that was a problem. Strict Jewish teaching had forbade the Jews from sharing a table fellowship with the Gentiles, those who were outside the covenant of promise. Well, when Peter came to Antioch, he found in the church uh, those of both Jewish and Gentile backgrounds eating together around the same tables, which is a very important and very rich picture of the reconciling power of the gospel. So when Peter came, he, he freely joined into that practice. He didn't object to it. He didn't think of himself as being contaminated by it, which he would have previously. Peter was, was living out of the freedom of the gospel, not insisting that Gentile Christians become Jews, becoming circumcised and keeping the ceremonial laws. Not only that, He understood that he, as a Jew, was now free in the grace of God to even become like a Gentile. And you may be asking, why is this so significant? Well, it's because Peter had not always thought about this this way. Uh, Peter had a life-altering experience recounted for us in Acts chapter 10, where Peter had a vision from God. And in it, God communicated that the gospel was for all nations. No people were to be thought of as unclean anymore or beyond the gospel. So so Peter had then gone to a Gentile, Cornelius, and shared the gospel with him. And the gospel was just changing lives radically in this community. The life of God's people together was, was flourishing. The gospel 
has, as it's always intended to do, it was breaking down barriers between people. People who had otherwise nothing in common shared this great gospel of grace in common and true community was flourishing. But, but things changed in the church of Antioch when some visitors came from Jerusalem. We're told in the text that some men came from what Paul calls the circumcision party in Jerusalem. The text doesn't tell us a lot about these men. We, we know that they're connected with James in some way. We know James had some authority in the early church, certainly, but we don't know exactly why they came or what they said to Peter. We do know, however, exactly how Peter responded in verse 12. Look at verse 12 with me. It says this, For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. Here we see Peter changes his behavior. Why? Because he was afraid. Now, what was he afraid of? Was he afraid of violence from these men? I suppose that's possible, but probably not. Was he afraid that he couldn't adequately explain his actions? It's possible. But I would say probably he was most of all afraid of what these guys would say about him. Would these and other church leaders approve of Peter? I think it's clear in the text that Peter here was mostly afraid of the opinions of others. And his fear led him to betray his own beliefs, to make some wrong choices. And so Peter withdraws, he he pulls back from the Gentiles who he had been eating with. And listen, it should be noticed that this is not a case of Peter simply making an honest mistake. Peter was was not fooled by the arguments of those who came from Jerusalem. The difficulty is he gave in to the pressure exerted by them, even though he knew what was right. As far as we know, Peter had not forgotten the vision he had in Acts chapter 10 at this time. He, He had not changed his own belief. But get this, he acted this way, not out of conviction but out of a fear of this small group who had influence over him. It's bad enough that Peter acted this way, but even more detrimental was how he led others astray as well. Verse 13 tells us this. It says, And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. It wasn't only that Peter pulls back, but he's such an influential person that all the other Jews in the church see this and they follow his action. Even Barnabas, which if you read this week, the reading is a, is a key leader in the early church. And so something needed to be done for the future of Christianity would have been drastically affected if not. Because of the negative power of what was happening, we see that the Apostle Paul comes and he addresses this issue with Peter Publicly, Look at verse 14 with me. It says, But when I, Paul, saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all. Notice that, by the way. Paul said this publicly. Now, we might read this and think, well, this, this is just Paul. This is a stereotypical move by the apostle who was just kind of always a little on the edge and quick to speak up. Was he just going to simply go out there and put Peter in his place by this? 
No. The reason he addresses him publicly is because this was a public action affecting others. And because it was public, it needed to be addressed publicly before the church. And because what was at stake, Paul says, is the truth of the gospel. This is not simply about having a meal, but it's undermining what's at the very center of the church, which is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul confronts him and says, this conduct, your conduct is not in step with the gospel. And so here we see that the the fear of the opinion of others is contrary to living in the freedom of the gospel. Fear led Peter to make these wrong decisions that can affect us today in the very same way. Listen, this this is not God's desire for his people to live captive to the fear of others. The fear of the opinions of others fueled hypocrisy in Peter. He believed one thing, but he said something completely different with his actions. Our beliefs, they certainly matter. But our actions matter as well. And the truth is, often we are driven by fear. And when we are, our actions undermine or contradict what we say we believe. Peter's hypocrisy, it it flowed from this fear. and, And we also are easily influenced by our fear of others. Our desire to be approved by others. That's what we see. We see here the destructive patterns of the fear of man. Now, what do we mean by that term, fear of man? Well, the author, Ed Welch, has written a very helpful book. I would put it on a top 20 all-time for for my personal growth books on the topic of the fear of man. Uh, And it's called, When People Are Big and God is Small. That's the title of the book. Uh, The title is actually a very helpful shorthand for exactly what we mean when we say the fear of man. It is people being big in our eyes and God being small. People's opinions of us becoming bigger in our view than God. And how important God's view is of us. And so Welch refers to it this way. He says, in the fear of man, we replace God with people. Instead of a biblically guided fear of the Lord, we fear others. We see this all throughout Scripture as well. The fear of man is extremely destructive. Our, our girl class on Wednesday night have been just blowing through all kinds of great Proverbs when it comes to our speech and such. But catch this one in Proverbs 29, verse 25, which says, The fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. Author Kevin DeYoung says it this way. He says, There is no sin so prevalent, so insidious, and so deep as the sin of fearing people more than we fear God. So when we speak of the fear of men, we we, we don't necessarily get this, mean we're always feeling afraid. That's not what we mean here. Very often it shows itself in being driven uh, or being captive to the approval of others, trying to avoid in every way facing the disapproval of others. And we should see it wasn't that Peter didn't have the right information. It's that something else had a higher value in his life than the gospel. He he believed the gospel, but a higher value for him in that moment was the opinion of the circumcision party. So the question is, where do we find the fear of man in our lives? Sometimes we can be very similar to Peter. 
We know and we believe the gospel. We want to glorify God. But at the same point, our desire to be admired by others or included by others can cause us to live contrary to the gospel we say we believe. It can cause us to live even hypocritical lives. That's not the only fear uh, we, way we encounter the fear of man. In, in Ed Welch's book, he gives us a number of questions to consider. Here are some of his questions. He says this, have you ever struggled with peer pressure? Peer pressure is simply a euphemism for the fear of man. Do you find that it's hard to say no, even when wisdom indicates that you should? Are you always second guessing decisions because of what other people might think? Are you afraid of making mistakes that will make you look bad in other people's eyes? Do you ever lie? Especially the little white lies, gossip, slander, flattery, exaggeration, minimization, etc. Lying and other forms of living in the dark are usually ways to make ourselves look better before other people. Are you jealous of other people? Have you ever been too timid to share your faith in Christ because of others and what they might think you are an irrational fool? I would also personally add these. Do you show favoritism? Do you respect and want to be seen with certain people based on their education, status, or outward appearance? Do you crave compliments? Do you find yourself, do you ever fish for compliments from others? Do you need to have people's approval of you? Are you overly concerned with how you look or dress? Do you spend time trying to manage others' opinions or impressions of you? Do you overwork? Do you underwork? Are you afraid to really go after something because you're worried if you fail what others will think of you? Are you obsessed with pleasing your boss? Are you terrified with not getting the approval of your parents? In fact, we look throughout history, the fear of man is also the source of much theological compromise. Listen, the history of Christianity in our country specifically is a very interesting study. There was a time, certainly early on, where the heart of gospel ministry in the world was flowing from the United States. But then, in a lot of ways, I would say in recent decades, it's been just the opposite. We can go around, particularly in in the Northeast, and see great historical American cities and see buildings where once the gospel was proclaimed and now a church no longer meets there. Well, what happened? Were those early Christians persuaded to a new set of beliefs? I think that, yeah, probably a few of them were, but, but you know what I think was more powerful and persuasive? The desire to be approved of. The more the culture around us scoffs at Christianity, as we, as a people, begin to be marginalized by that, it's hard to hold on to that belief. So many Christians who have the desire to fit in, to be approved of, they they shrink back from the gospel. And listen, we, we know that this is a temptation for us as well. I don't think any of us love to be scoffed at for our deeply held beliefs. If you've ever received that look of, oh, you're one of those. I, I didn't know people really believed that. There's a temptation instantly to pull back and change that belief so that we find the approval of others. As I think about my own life, I 
I can think of different seasons of life where the fear of man was so powerful for me. In the early years of ministry, I remember being very young and very new on staff of older, more seasoned pastors. I think we had seven other pastors on the time, all older, more seasoned. I feared not having the approval of others. So numerous times, as a newly married man even, I looked up and my calendar was just filled with countless ministry things. Different Bible studies every single night. We actually went to a youth Christmas party the day after our wedding. Yeah, not a good decision, by the way. Um, I have a very gracious wife, as you all know. I needed someone at that time to, to speak into my life an observation of overcommitment at every front. I honestly got to a place where, where even now I can struggle to ever say no. If somebody asked me to do it, I honestly got to the place where, where I can be like, yeah, tell me when. And, and there have been ways that's always been a challenge to me, but by God's grace, I believe I've made progress in that. But I still find myself at times in different places captive to this fear of man. And so we see the fear of man abounds in all of us. The question is, is there any good news for us? Is there any hope for me and you when it comes to this fear? Well, let me introduce you to the next point, number two. The freedom from the fear of man. We've seen the destructiveness of the fear of man. Hopefully you see it. We see the freedom from the fear of man. It's interesting. I taught an entire grow class on this particular subject. And I often had this very tension, even in this room, in that class. Um, in fact, it was, a, it was a time where our grow class was very talkative. And we just pressed on this one button. And it suddenly became very silent. <laughs> Which only means one thing in a pastor's eyes. I hit a nerve. <laughs> and I know this because this is a nerve in my life that I know has been hit often, and it's my least favorite nerve to hit. Freedom from the fear of man. Is it possible to grow in freedom from the fear of man? What's, what's the one pathway to freedom from the fear of man? Well, we see in our text, the one pathway is the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said, Peter was not living in step with the truth of the gospel. And what is the gospel? Well, look what Paul goes on to explain in verses 15 and 16. He says, we who are Jews by nature... And not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. Essentially, this is Paul's response to Peter. Peter is captive to the opinion of others. But instead of, of going toward a surface level explanation, Paul just goes straight to the deepest realities of the gospel. He says, Peter, this is the problem. You lost sight of the gospel. That's your problem. And when you lose sight of the gospel, the approval of others now becomes dominant in your life. And there's a key word here to understanding salvation. It's the word that's used justified, or we refer to it as justification. It's going to be a very important word for us when we get to the book of Romans, certainly. Wayne Grudem defines justification like this in his systematic theology. He says, justification is an instantaneous legal act of God in which he, one, thinks of our sins as forgiven and Christ's righteousness as belonging to us, and two, declares us to be righteous in his sight. 
So justification is a legal term. It's the opposite of condemnation. To condemn is to declare guilty. To justify is to declare not guilty. It's to declare righteous. And so why is this justification necessary? Well, because God is holy and righteous and we're not. So therefore, we are at odds with God. We have rebelled against God in our very nature. Deep down, as we'll see when we come to Romans chapter 1, our our conscience tells us this very thing. That something is awry with us and God. Because we are sinful and not righteous. And therefore, we are unable to do what we were created to do and have fellowship with this God. And so, we're all sinners, separated from God, guilty before God. And how, therefore, can a person be justified? That's actually one of the central questions that Paul addresses in this letter to the Galatians. Can it be accomplished? Can justification, can you be declared righteous by human effort? See, there were some claiming uh, into Galatia, they came and followed Paul trying to make that very argument. That perhaps you could be justified, declared righteous by keeping human commandments or certain rituals. Paul refers to these things as the works of the law. And so the question again is, can a person be justified, made right with God through the works of the law? Some Jews believed at this time that they could in fact be justified in this way. But this teaching, listen, it was not unique only to that time. It's been present in every single generation. And there's a part of this teaching, listen, that you and I actually like. Because it involves our efforts. There there is a broken part of you and I as human beings that desires to earn God's favor. The idea of it being all the work of God is actually repulsive to us initially. Because we want to play a part of it. We want self-salvation, not a God who saves us apart from ourselves. Even many who attend church today in America, if you ask them to explain what it means for them to be a Christian, they'll say, I'm a Christian, and they'll say, it's because I'm, I'm generally a good person. I'm a Christian because I attend church regularly. Even that one time, like a month ago when it rained, I attended church. So so many religious systems in the world are now built upon this earning God's favor. But here's a very important truth that Paul makes abundantly clear in the book of Galatians. No person has ever been justified by his or her own actions. It cannot be done. Some people may do a better job of keeping the law than others, but no amount of law keeping can make a sinful person righteous. Jesus is the only one who walked the earth and maintained a sinless life. So so Paul's resounding answer is no one can be justified by the law. We can't be justified through our own efforts, but only by Christ. And this gift of justification is received by faith In Him. In Jesus. The one who suffered and died on the cross in the place of sinners like us. Taking the penalty of our sins in His death. The one who died and rose again triumphantly conquering Satan, sin, and death. This justification is now available. It's held out as a free gift to any who and all who receive this by faith. And so, what must we do? If that's true, what must we do to receive it? We simply admit That we are sinners. Admit that I'm a sinner. That I've rebelled against God. That I am in need. In desperate need of a Savior. We repent and we turn to Christ. Meaning 
we place our trust, our faith in Him and His work, His saving work. So listen, if, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian today, we simply want you to know of this extraordinary gift. Friend, there's nothing you can do to earn it. And if you've even been taught that in the past, if you thought maybe what you really need to do is you need to clean yourself up more, then you can know God's love for you. That's not what the gospel is. The gospel is that Christ came to rescue through his death and resurrections all sinners who will admit our need and turn to him by faith. So friend, we would love for you to do that today. To turn to Christ by faith and receive this free gift. For those who do turn to Christ, or maybe you are his, what are are some of the results that we need to focus on on being justified? Okay, well, here's what you need to think on. If you're, if you're like me, and this has just been a struggle, the fear of man is just a struggle for you. What are some results of justification? What does justification mean for you that can help you fight this particular fear? Well, it means this. It means you're forgiven of your sins. It means you are given new life in Christ. It means you are transformed, reconciled with God, adopted as God's own children. And so through Christ... It means that we are accepted by God, loved by God, perfectly, completely, and unconditionally. Friend, in Christ, you are approved by God. And this ought to change absolutely everything for us. For in the gospel, you are set free from condemnation. You are no longer guilty. You are free. So how is this gospel in particular a source of freedom from the fear of man? Well, the gospel tells us that in Christ we are completely approved by our creator. It tells us we are sacrificially loved by Christ. It promises that God will continue to love us even on our worst day because of what Christ has done. And so if God approves, if he favors and he loves us like that, then the opinions of others should appropriately grow smaller in our eyes. The the late Tim Keller said it this way. He said, all your life you've been knocking on a door. Affirm me. Love me. Tell me I'm okay. You've been working all of your relationships so that somehow you can steal self-acceptance from other people. It never works. But in the gospel, the door at which you've been knocking will open at last. And now finally, the only pair of eyes in the universe whose opinion counts looks at you and sees an absolute beauty. Finally, the door on which you've been knocking all your life has been opened at last. And now the natural world ceases to have any claim on you. Who cares what they think now? Now, criticism doesn't kill you. See, the gospel frees us to be able to say, you know what, the truth is, I'm actually worse than people think. If people really knew the real me, then what they would think of me could not possibly be bad enough. And yet, even in spite of that, we are loved perfectly, fully, completely by Christ. It frees us to be able to show our messiness, our brokenness, so we don't have to hide it any longer. Because we are approved by our Father. The gospel enables us 
to need the approval of people less and therefore actually enable us to love them correctly, to love them more. doesn't free us to despise people, but to love them, serve them more freely, more genuinely, because we're not trying to use them for their approval. And so what, what are some things that we can do practically to allow this freedom to grow in our lives? Well, let me encourage you, just first of all, to, to feed your heart and mind by treasuring the gospel of Jesus Christ. Just treasure the gospel. We are always prone to wonder from this gospel. So what we really need to do is we really need to cultivate in our lives patterns where we are feeding our minds this very truth. We want God and the gospel to get bigger in our minds and we want the opinions of others to grow smaller. And so dwell on God's mercy. Meditate on God's grace. Pray that God would give you a bigger vision of exactly what it is he has done for you in Christ. Let me encourage you. It's the beginning of the year, so we might as well do this now too. Take God's word and steadily read it. Pick a small portion of it and just meditate on it. Just write it down for the day. Just one verse. Take it with you throughout your day so that you might turn it in your mind over and over. And when your heart, uh, as it's prone to do, starts to long for the approval of others, to live in the fear of others, bring yourself back to exactly who you are in Jesus Christ. I would also encourage you just read helpful books. There are, there are many unhelpful books, but also many helpful ones out there. Feed your minds with what we call the work of not inspiration, but of illumination. Fill your mind with that. Also, you have to know by now, we're going to talk about this, we need Christian community in the church. Listen, you might come to the place of trusting someone enough to say, would you, just, would you ask me about this particular topic? Just, just ask me about this. Why? Because I'm tempted in this area and I need some accountability. I, I know that I'm going to be tempted in the workplace even tomorrow to compromise out of a desire to find the approval of others. I'm going to be tempted at, at school this week, students, to hide my faith out of a fear of what others would think. There is safety in the community of the local church. Because we are made right by Christ, loved by Christ, approved by Christ. And therefore, we can welcome one another freely, encouraging one another. But simultaneously, be careful of those things which undermine your heart and pull you back into the fear of man. It's a part of knowing ourselves to know, when am I tempted most to love the approval of others? When am I tempted to misrepresent myself so others will think well of me? And also, be wise. I was talking to a sister this week. I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, but but this tool of social media, there's some great value to it, certainly. But there's also some great danger with it. It's worth asking, if I'm going to post, why? What is it that I am hoping for? If when I post, even from a good motivation, that in that posting I find myself captive to who might like it, who might share it, and if I feel better, the more that people do that, it might be actually a sign that this particular tool is not very helpful for me, at least in this season. 
And it might be time to take a step back from it. But of course, none of this is a one-time battle we'll fight this week. We are in this regular battle for the rest of our lives. But the good news is that there's hope for us. We don't have to be held captive to the opinion of others. We don't. We don't have to be afraid even to fail. As Christians, you and I can live daring lives to the glory of God who aren't crushed by their own failures. We simply can get up and try again. We don't have to be paralyzed by the fear of letting others down. We don't have to overvalue the opinion of others. We can love and serve them while not being approved by them. Our prayer is that we would be a church like that. May we go into our community and share the hope of this gospel. I'm sure in your life you you don't have to look too far on the campus of your school or in your workplace or your community for friends and co-workers who are simply trapped by this approval of others and the pursuit of it. There's so many ways the gospel is good news to them. But listen, is not this one of the most profound potential changes in this life that the gospel could bring? They might finally be free, no longer captive, knowing the unbreakable, never-ending love of God in Christ. That's the good news that you and I share. And so, look, this morning as we come to a close... As a means of response, I, I just want to, there's several ways we can do this. We're going to have a time again of, of silent praying right where you are. If you're here this morning and you haven't turned to Christ by faith, turn to Him today receiving this free gift. Maybe, maybe you have been trapped by the approval of others. Pray that God would help you see that there could be another way to live. That freedom, that joy and love could be extended even to others that struggle with this in the gospel. Another means of response that we have is to come up to us after the service. Pastor Justin will be down front this week. And if if we can pray for you, we'd, we'd love to do this. If you would simply respond by coming up to us and saying, pray for me as I fight the fear of man, we, we would love to. And so we're going to pray silently. I'm going to lead us then in prayer, and then we'll sing together as a means of centering our hearts and minds on this gospel. Let's do that now. Let's bow our heads and cry out to the Lord, asking to apply this sermon today. Father, we are thankful for the hope of the gospel that brings light, life, freedom, and forgiveness. The hope that brings us into your love and to your family. We're thankful for the countless ways it impacts our lives. Father, today we look to you in this area where we confess so many of us are prone, myself included, to be captive to the approval, opinions, and fear of others. Lord, for those of us who belong to you by faith, who are Christians, I pray that you would empower us by your spirit to carve a new path 
to live differently, to live in greater freedom in this gospel. I pray today for some who have never placed their faith in Jesus Christ, that they might understand even now their need and see the beauty for what Christ has done, that they might turn to Him by faith today to receive the free gift, be brought into your never-ending love, being fully approved by you because of what Christ has done. Father, now as we sing, would you refresh our hearts? Would you strengthen our faith? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand and sing with us?